Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the latest Windy City Gridiron Radio with you, as always, your host, Robert Siglinski. And today, uh, we're going to change it up a little bit. And when I say change it up, we're going to try not to talk about Khalil Mack, because I, I know right now he's arguably the NFL's best defensive player. I know he's brought back a lot of excitement concerning these, yes, first place Bears, because he's so damn good. I, 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 I can't really understate that. Um, but I almost feel as if the coverage and the conversation around the Bears is almost too centered on him. I think sometimes we forget that there are indeed other players on this Bears roster also playing quite well that maybe don't show up in the national conversations or, don't, or aren't receiving as much credit as they should be uh, to go through some of those Bears <clears throat> that are playing, excuse me, that are playing so well. I've brought in Windy City Gridiron's lead draft analyst, but he obviously can talk regular football as well outside of draft season. Uh, EJ Schneider. EJ, how are you? How are you tonight? Sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling all over myself. That's uh, all right. I'm doing really well. Happy to be back on. And happy to be back on and happy, I also assume, to maybe talk about someone else that's not Khalil Mack. I I think it's a great approach. Khalil Mack's getting plenty of press, plenty of airtime, and like you said, absolutely well-deserved. But, uh, you know, variety being the spice of life, let's talk about the guys that are helping him out because it's not a one-man show. You guys can follow EJ on Twitter at the Draftsman FB. Uh, and let's kick it off right away. Let's stick with the defense. I mean, we're gonna. There are some offensive guys to discuss, but given the way that the, given the way that Mr. Trubisky and Matt Nagy have that unit, not really humming along so far. We'll save them for last. At least some of the guys that are playing well there. Um, AJ, what are your thoughts so far on Eddie Goldman? So this is the new forty-two million dollar man. Only uh, only three weeks since he signed a new contract extension with the Bears. And to me, it looks like he's worth every penny. I I think he's playing some of his best football. Uh, I'm an Eddie Goldman fan. Uh, he plays that role. You're right. That's not as flashy on the defense. But Goldman's job is is pretty succinct. Uh, you know, don't let teams run through the middle and make sure that the, you know, the center guard combo that's usually going to try and block, block him doesn't get two free steps off the snap. Quarterbacks get really nervous with interior pressure and Goldman makes sure that there's not any room. And that really helps Khalil Mack and the other ends do their work. If the quarterback doesn't feel like he's got any air up the middle, any place to step up, he really starts looking to that edge immediately. And the pocket is a different shape. It's more of a, a flat oval instead of a big circle. Right. And that makes a huge difference for a pass rush. So yeah, I believe that Goldman's earning his money for sure. 
Talk about what he does for linebackers like Danny Trevathan and to a lesser extent Roquan Smith because I don't think Roquan's necessarily up to speed yet. But Danny Trevathan obviously won uh, the NFC Week 2 Defensive Player of the Week. Um, talk about the kind of effect that a, a space eater like Goldman. So you, you mentioned the pass rush. What, what does he do for um, what does he do for a linebacker like Trevathan helping him make plays? Well, it keeps them clean. It's not that much different than the Bears defenses of old where they had, you know, the yeah, they ran a 4-3, but they had two huge space-eating interior tackles that kept those guys clean, that kept Erlacher clean when they had Trailer and and Ted Washington. Those guys were, you know, making sure that guards and centers didn't get free shots on on linebackers. And that's even more important now with the guys you mentioned, Trevathan, Roquan Smith. Those guys aren't aren't big stack and shed guys. They can do it, but they're running hit guys. They, they don't need 320 pound man eaters coming down and, and knocking them over. And Goldman will take two on pretty much every play. And that's big because that leaves either Smith or Trevathan, you know, free or dealing with kind of a half man to, to fill their gap. What do, does it bother you at all? Because I saw this point brought up when originally when Goldman was signed, it was extension. Does it bother you at all that the Bears are shelling out 25 million guaranteed? I mean, for a guy that plays at most 60% of the defensive snaps of the game, does, does that bother you? Or, or do you look more to, oh, hey, the Bears are fine with this. This is their window. This is their, uh, you know, they're comfortable with his responsibilities, whatever. I, I think I'm comfortable with it because the guy running the defense is comfortable with it. Vic Fangio realizes what Eddie Goldman's there to do and how well he does it. So I don't look at quantity. I don't say, oh, hey, he doesn't play 100% of the snaps, uh, so he's not worth it. I say, yeah, he's in there on 60 or 65% of the snaps, but on those snaps, what does he do? And from what we're seeing, he dominates. He makes sure that those guys are in place and not sort of in play. Those interior linemen are really held in check and, you know, sometimes even push back when it's two on one, which is pretty amazing. Another guy on that defense. Um, and I, and I, I hesitate to defend him as much because I do think people wanted to see him as more of a pass rusher, but I don't think that the bears necessarily have ever seen him as a dominant pass rusher. That's Leonard Floyd, um, who has, transition from a club to a brace in week three. I don't think he's making any, I don't think he's going to be a hundred, one hundred fully at a 100% until after the bears bye week after the Sunday. But what have been your impressions of him so far, despite not really not not having a sack, not having any notable box score statistics and, and, you know, kind of working with one and a half hands at best. Yeah. I think he's been really complete. And I think that's been overlooked, you know, because all the focus has been on the other side of the line and rightfully so, but a defense is a, it's an organism, right? We've, we've seen that when one part of it breaks down, the whole thing breaks down. If one side of it's not working and Floyd is, you know, for the most part held up his end of the bargain. He's been really good in run contain. Uh, lots of people I argued with, you know, at draft time when, when it was Floyd's turn to be drafted and they said, no, he's too light. He can't set the edge. And that simply wasn't true. And I, I countered that in some of my write-up on him and said, no, he can. And he does. And yeah, he needs to get thicker. But even though, you know, size isn't everything. And he plays with good leverage. And he plays with good technique on the edge. And for the most part, he's pretty good at setting the edge. And he's gotten bigger and stronger. And he's gotten better at doing that. He's been really consistent at that this year. So if if Khalil Mack was the only threat or the only force, 
you'd be going to the other side. If you're an offense, you'd be going, you'd be running to Leonard Floyd's side and you'd be rolling out to Leonard Floyd's side. And he's kept that side pretty well locked down, which allows again, Goldman Hicks Mac to do their work on the other side. Does it concern you that he's not as effective in the pass rush or as a pass rusher? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not, I'm obviously in the camp of, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but does it concern, does it personally concern you? Uh, it doesn't because of the hand injury. Um, you know, now he's got his club off and like you said, it's going to take him a few weeks to get back up to speed, but I really want to see what he does sort of mid season on because teams are going to have to adjust and they're going to start, you know, sliding protections away from him and he's going to get a lot of, you know, solo blocking. He's going to get occasionally some teams going to be stupid enough to just leave a touch tight end out there, tight end, and he's going to take advantage of those matchups, I think, you know, I hope, that's my hope, is that that stuff's going to come on as he gets healthier and and offenses really react to the fact that, look, you can't leave Khalil Mack with one or sometimes two or sometimes even three blockers on him. That's going to pay dividends for Floyd. That's just immunities for light sets for him. And then finally with Floyd, what in your what what does his versatility do? I mean, he's not dropping back fifty percent of the time, but this is a guy that is dropping back eighteen to twenty percent of the time in coverage. Um, he mm-hmm. is that run defender. Um, he is okay. I mean, he, he hasn't been a great pass rusher this year, but sometimes he, he he he's capable of getting after a quarterback. This is the guy we saw in college. What's your opinion of his versatility and what that does for this defense? I think it's big for Fangio to have a guy like that, that he can put forward or backward on any snap. Now, like you said, he puts him forward more than he puts him backward. But when he puts him backward, it's important to know that he's not just putting him in space. He's not just a post back there. He's pretty effective. Leonard Floyd's really long. He's really athletic. um, And he covers a fairly big sort of envelope because of that because of that combination. So it's not just that he's standing back there and people have to run around him. He can, in the short area, the little short out for the tight end, he's pretty effective back there and, you know, sort of back to the interior flats kind of routes. He can make a difference back there and it's definitely going to make quarterbacks think twice. So having that kind of jackknife has always been something that Fangio likes to have. He had it in San Francisco as well. Guys that, you know, played as well going backward as they did going forward. And it allows him to very his approach to the bears are, you know, almost last in blitz percentage. That's because they can take sort of any one of the front seven and move them almost anywhere. Now I don't want to see Eddie Goldman in pass coverage, but (laughs) you know, having guys like Leonard Floyd who are athletic and long on the edge really make versatility uh, a thing. And that makes diversity of your sort of defensive attack uh, really ramp up, which is great news for a defense because the offense can't just count on, okay, Floyd's just going to pin his ears back and come every time. This is Windy City Gridiron Radio talking with WCG's lead draft analyst, EJ Schneider, about the non-Khalil Mack Bears that are kind of thriving early on in the 2018 season. Robert Zaglinski here. You can follow EJ on Twitter at the Draftsman FB, and you can follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski, and follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. EJ, I'll kind of let you help me with this segue who in your mind has been the Bears' best overall cornerback this season? Who, you know, who Ooh. isn't the guy that <laughs> that's been paid as who isn't the guy that's p- paid as much? I think it's I think it's easy to point out. Um, I'd have to say Callahan. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I think most Bears watchers who've been paying attention would say that Callahan's been sort of certainly outplaying his press, um, outplaying his his contract, whatever measure you want to use. He's one of the more effective slot cornerbacks in the league, and his problem has been sort of consistency of, of health more than consistency of play. He hasn't always made huge impact, but again, very effective when he's in there and healthy and can match up with some of the best slot receivers, and we all know that offenses are moving some of their best receivers to the slot to try and win matchups. Oh, excuse me. What, what does, what does his proficiency? I think you kind of just touched on it, but what is his proficiency in the slot? I mean, the bears are predominantly mostly a defense anyway, that's almost always in the nickel. So Mm -hmm. having a guy that's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe t- a top five Nick corner. I don't think that's a stretch to say right now, based off the first three games. Um, much like Floyd's versatility, what does having a proficient guy like Callahan there as the nickel corner do for the Bears? Uh, it takes a lot of pressure off the safeties, for one. Uh, you can, again, use your safeties, not necessarily interchangeably, but you can bring them down. You don't have to leave them both high because if you've got a guy that can lock down some of those more talented slot guys, sometimes one-on-one and put them on an island, that means you don't always have to shade the safety to his side. So that's a big deal with with as many three and four wide receiver sets. And you're right that Callahan's a starter on this team because they, they come out in nickel more than they compound and come out in almost anything else the the misnomer of base defense being three four the base is the nickel and and three four is the is the off if you go by percentages has been for a couple of years so having a guy that can occupy that really third cornerback starters role and play really well against talented you know offensive players is a big deal if you didn't have that you'd be getting gashed and you'd have to roll your safeties and that again opens up the opposite side if I asked you, because we're kind of, if I asked you to rank Bears defenders, where would you put Goldman, Floyd, and Callahan, EJ? Ooh, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, I would put, uh, it's tough to say because they all serve different roles, of course, but I would probably put, if I had to just put those three in order, um, ooh, wow. <laughs> uh, I would say, and it's, it's the really curve. No, it's great. It's a really good question. You know, I love really good questions, and you know, they're all important in different ways. And it's you know, who's who's more important overall? Um, I might even put Callahan above Goldman. Um, Ooh, okay. Uh, but it would be Callahan and Goldman really, really close, and and Floyd just because of his production so far this year, not necessarily because of his versatility. Um you know, third in that group. Now, if you're asking me to rank them in the 12, um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say, I don't know. I think it's really, it's so necessary to have a good slot corner now because there are, you know, the proliferation of, you know, three, four, even five wide receiver sets uh, are so common and there's guys with talent, you know, three deep receiver cores have been built and and drafted around the NFL where the third receiver is oftentimes a guy that, you know, is very good. And a lot of times, like we said, they're rolling that number one wide receiver inside in the slot. And if you're not, you know, tipping your hand as to, you know, straight up man and just having your outside corner rotate in, then that means Callahan's on, you know, a number one wide receiver potentially. And you've got to have faith in that guy. If you don't, you're going to give up chunk plays. 
to the offense and considering the, I mean, considering Mitch Trubisky's struggles, considering the offense's overall lack of rhythm, I think it's, it's difficult to center on skill position guys, but there are two guys up front that I think the, the Bears offensive line has, has quietly actually been quite good this year. Um, yep. One of them has been Charles Leno. I mean, most know the importance of, <laughs> of a left tackle, of a blindside protector being so good, but Leno's much like Goldman the 27 year old, he, he seems like he's playing better than ever. And it's paying, it's paying off dividends across the entire offense. What talk about his importance in, in, in this role. You're absolutely correct. And I've been a Leno defender for a long time. Uh, and his progression, although progression in players is not necessarily linear all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, his has been, he's, he has consistently improved every year. He's gotten better uh, to the point where last year he was playing very well, still very quiet. Lots of people calling for his replacement. You know, come draft time, everybody's saying, "Ah, oh, we need to draft to tackle that Leno. He's he's okay, but we really need to, you know, we really need to upgrade with a rookie, which always makes me chuckle. Uh, but this year, I think he's he's really putting that to bed. Um, he's got that side locked down. He looks better than ever. He's he's playing very healthy. He's playing very smart. Um, yeah, he's just a guy that I don't worry about at all. It's just you know, like you said, with the offensive struggles, there's plenty of things to worry about, and it's very very nice not to have to worry about okay, who's going to be on the edge of the line because a lot of teams don't have that luxury. They're, they're worried quite a bit about that. I think about teams like the Giants. I, I think I, I, when, when people talk about Leno just being okay or Leno not being good enough, and, and this extension or this conversation rather kind of extends to Bobby Massey sometimes, though Massey's obviously worse than Leno. I, I don't think people realize that there's an overall epidemic of offensive line play across the league. I, I, I think maybe, maybe epidemic is a strong word, but there, there really aren't that many good, like overall offensive lines in the NFL right now. And guys like Charles Leno aren't just good because they're sticking out amongst the crap. Like they're legitimately like Leno's legitimately one of the best blindside protectors in football. And it's, 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 it's it, comparing him to everybody else. Um, only make only projects him even higher if that makes sense yeah i'd say so and and i think massey's the same way you're right he doesn't have the skill set that leno has he doesn't necessarily have the value but people that really bash bobby massey aren't looking at the rest of the league like you and i are and saying you know massey's pretty easily mid-pack and that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. He is not a bottom of the barrel tackle. I would take him above, you know, easily half of the right tackles in the league, sight unseen. You know, are there better tackles out there? 15, maybe 18 of them? Yeah, absolutely. But are there, you know, 15 to 18 worse tackles? Yep, there sure are. So again, if you're talking about how line play has declined in general, and I agree with you there that the units aren't staying together as long, um, they're not staying in the same blocking schemes as long. Um, yeah, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, certainly the college crop is one of them. But, uh, you know, the Bears are pretty well set right now at offensive line, and, and that's not something to be taken for granted. Another offensive lineman, and and I think, I don't know, it might be a little premature. I know it's three games, but I think Kyle Long looks like his old Pro Bowl self right now. I know he's had a really difficult 
past year and a half or so with ankle injuries, shoulder injuries, neck injuries, just all these numerous surgeries. But he finally, to me right now, while he's, you know, all MacGyvered up and held up with and put together with <laughs> tape, with tape and glue. Yep. I, I think he looks really, really good right now. I, I, to me, while Leno might be the most important, Long is the is again the Bears' best offensive lineman, and it's not just and he's he's just flashing, continually flashing. Yeah, I I think in a lot of ways. Uh, that is true. Uh, everything you said long has been torn up and by torn up, I mean, literally torn up over the last year and a half. He's had four five, six surgeries, um, all on different places. He, he's been plagued by injuries. And I've, you know, openly wondered aloud last year, if his career was really, if we'd seen the peak, if he was ever going to get back to that, because there's no guarantee with that much work on somebody's body that uh, on a, you know, a position like guard that he's going to get back to that level. We saw where he's mauling people. Well, you know, good for Kyle Long, always been a competitor, you know, super driven as an athlete, obviously to return from all that. And yeah, we've seen those flashes. We've seen him absolutely clear outsides. We've seen him mash people and finish blocks in the way that he did, you know, when he was playing at his peak. Um, I'm with you. It's with, you know, bated breath and some optimism that, that that'll hold up uh, through, a, you know, what is a grueling 16 game season. Uh, but for right now, yeah, he, he's looking the part. He's certainly knocked the rust off and he's knocking some other things off defensive players. Let me put, let me throw another curveball at you. Sure. Do you bring back long next year? Because in terms of, of a financial situation, maybe, maybe this is another thing where you have to see the next 13 games play out, but after this season, the Bears will only have three million in dead cap on his contract. He's going to be thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Do you bring him back into this situation, EJ? Uh, you know, last year I say absolutely not. There are many people who are like, "Oh, you got to give him a second." It's like, nope. Last year he'd been hurt so much, we'd seen so little return over the last, like you said, year and a half that I was staunchly against that. Um, but with a return to form, he could make it a very interesting conversation. If he holds up through the season and plays like he's playing, it's going to be very hard to run him out of town. You're just going to have to say, um, in a somewhat Seahawks like move, not to that level, but we can't prioritize all positions to that level and we can get a guard who can play younger, cheaper, not as well necessarily, but you know, we're okay with that. So if he plays like this for the rest of the year, he's going to make that a very difficult decision on pace and company to, to say, Hey, at what level do we bring him back? And really what's his, what's his market value again, as a, as a pretty beat up 30 year old with a lot of name recognition, how much is somebody else going to pay him? There's always one team that's going to come in Mm -hmm. and pay him a lot of money, but are there five and would he take, I don't want to say hometown discount, but would he take a little less than say a max contract um, to stay in Chicago because of familiarity, because of Harry Hestad, because of, you know, if they make the playoffs this year and they have some team success, which he really hasn't tasted very much. Does he say, Hey, we've got a good thing going on here and give them a break. If he does, he, I'd say he keep him. Yeah. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it might be, it might factor in with that window thing. If, if you're, if you're going all in with Khalil Mack, if you're going all in with Mitch Trubisky and you want to see this play out over the next three or four years, 
I, I'm not sure as, lo- as long as long obviously maintains this and he comes a little cheaper, like you said, um, they're probably best served to keep him around at least for another year or two to, to like in the, maybe draft a guard later on, on day, m- late day two, early day three, um, set the future up. But the, otherwise um, I think you're kind of poking hole. I think you're kind of poking holes in that window or you're, or you're not using that window as best as possible. If you, you know, if you don't, if you don't keep long in a fashion where he's playing at a high level, despite his injury history. Yeah. And if you're only changing out one starter on an offensive line, I think that's pretty good. That really helps that guy get up to speed. If you're, you know, the bears have sort of constantly been moving guys around. And I know you and you and I and Lester have all talked about this at one time or another, leave them where they are that familiarity that's one of the reasons line players decline is they don't get that time to really gel and understand i mean right now you know kyle long and the other guys on that line for the most part really understand what the other guy is going to do and yeah if you pull long out of that get a fresh guard you know maybe maybe massey goes because of his contract who knows and you're starting now you've got two fifths year offensive line i knew yeah you're taking a step back for sure I'm going to throw – just be prepared. I'm going to throw a little nugget thing for you, draft thing for you at the end. Related, draft-related anyway for a guy that isn't featured much. Who hasn't featured much yet but was supposed to. So, so keep that keep that in the mind of your back. Fair, keep fair enough. Mind. Um, but tell me a person that – another underrated bear that isn't getting enough attention right now that you think is going to emerge in the last 13 games of the season. So we're, we're going to have a bye week after this Sunday – we're gonna have a little bit of a breather. Mm-hmm. Um, who's gonna be another bear that doesn't get enough credit, or is gonna start coming out into the limelight a little bit in the in, in the last uh, three months? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I would say I want to say Taylor Gabriel because I've been waiting for them to start using Taylor Gabriel downfield, and that just sort of hasn't come to fruition. Most of Gabriel's touches have been of the really short variety, so I'm not not sure that he's going to break out the way that uh, a lot of people thought he might or, or hope that he might. But I think Trey Burton. Trey Burton got a ton of press. He's had some good catches. But with Nagy making his comments this week that he really wants to sort of go to what works and keep Mitch familiar, those those close short throws into the seams and sort of quick breaking routes over the middle that Burton can run really, really well are frankly a quarterback's best friend on a on a hot read. And I think we'll see Burton get some more targets. Big time security blanket for Trubisky. I think you know what I was alluding to, EJ. And, and and I'm sure I'm going to sound like a broken record here, or I'm going to com- or I'm going to complain about oh this, this when the offensive line's playing well, whatever. Um, but I I think considering the struggles of this Bears Bears offense overall, they should be best served to put all the best players in their best possible positions, or just playing in general. What is your opinion on James Daniels? not being a day one starter. And it certainly at this point doesn't really look like he's going to be, it doesn't look like he's going to be starting uh, anytime soon. Why do you think the bears are holding him back and having Eric Cushton? I don't think Eric Cushton has been bad. I should clarify for listeners, yeah. but he hasn't necessarily been enough to where it's like, Oh, Hey, James Daniels can't be doing that. You know what I mean? Yep. No, I think you're right. And I think that's the point. I think that's why um, I think if Cush had come back, another guy coming back from a really, uh, serious injury 
um, and who he had a lot of question marks about who had played, you know, again, fairly well, fairly solidly before the injury, but hey, big injury and how's he going to come back and how's the strength and how's the durability. Um, but I think he's, I think he's held the rookie at bay and I don't think that, you know, Daniels is untalented by any stretch, but we all know that there's an adjustment to the speed and power of the NFL and combined with the fact that Cush has held that spot down and played very solid football has made it so, you know, I think that's a luxury is you don't have to rush a rookie into the lineup. Now, does he look like a really good replacement for Long if they let Long go? Well, he could be. He's a very different player, but he's going to have a year of seasoning, a year of, you know, pro conditioning, a year of, um, you know, pro diet. All that stuff makes a difference, but I think I think the answer is really succinctly, Kush has played pretty well. You don't think, and this isn't my opinion, but this was just like something that people threw at me. Oh, the Harry he stands concerned with James Daniels at the point of attack. You don't think that's anything like that, where it's anything like innately concerned with Daniels' play? Um, I think he stands sees Daniels' play pretty clearly and knows right. that he'll benefit from a little more seasoning whether that's physical seasoning or whether that's mental seasoning we know he's pretty smart he you know he played at a at a very diverse rushing attack at iowa and, and iowa creates great line that always has um i think he knows what he's got and there's no reason to rush now if kush starts stinking it up or gets injured yeah we're gonna see you know we're gonna see a steady diet at daniels um and that'll you know he'll have his sink and swim moments he's gonna yeah, it's it's silly to think that he's going to come in and, and play from a super high level and not make any mistakes right away. That's that's just not what rookies do. But, um, you know, is his ceiling higher than Kush's? I sure hope so in the second round. And I believe that's probably true. But is his floor a little bit lower right now than Kush's? It probably is as a rookie. Now, how fast he gets past that mark kind of to level and, and starts to reach those heights is is always the question. And he's going to do that with with steady playing time. Um, but Kush has given him the, the, you know, the cushion right now to develop. <laughs> come behind on. The cushion. Don't use that pun. Come oh, on. come on. It was, it was not that bad. <laughs> um, I, cause because I legitimately don't remember what was your, what was your like draft evaluation of Daniels, especially when the bears picked him. Um, my Daniels is a uh, really, uh, it was, a, it was a bit funny this year with the Bears picking offensive linemen because they changed not only their offensive scheme, but also their offensive line coach. So the qualities, we were really guessing at the qualities that those the coaches in the scheme would require. Uh, so uh, Daniels was a very good player. Um, I probably had him rated ooh, second or third, I think, if I go back on my ratings. Um, he's a little bit smaller, but he's incredibly agile. Um, and he packs very good power. He plays with great technique. Uh, but I was thinking that uh, the Bears are probably still looking for somebody with a little more bulk. So I was a bit surprised when they picked him. I went back to his tape. I'd watched his tape previously, certainly, but uh, went back and said, okay, what did they see? What did they want? Because these are these are learning moments when you have that new staff and the new system all right they picked this guy second round obviously they put some priority on him what is it about daniels uh that made him so attractive to them and i think it was absolutely smart um that was something i probably didn't put enough uh weight on in my initial look at his tape was how how often mentally he's in the right place uh and was in college he's he 
he doesn't miss much. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And then really uh, how refined his leverage was, although he is not a bulk guy, that doesn't mean he can't move people. He is very effective at getting himself to the right place. Um, and he's very good on the move on the interior. He's, he's that sort of interior zone can reach the second level guy really easily. Um, and, you know, with the bears spreading things out, that becomes more important. EJ, I know that I, I know that I just threw that at you at the last moment, but I had to get your take. So I appreciate you being ready with, which is with, with, with what was really a perfect and detailed answer. I, I know that's, that that's your niche. So uh, you, that was, that was excellent. I appreciate the serve. Uh, you heard it here first from EJ also when we were doing actual underrated bears. Trey Burton's going to be the guy that breaks out the rest of the 2018 season. And this was just our little appreciation of guys that aren't Khalil Mack, like, like Leonard Floyd, like Eddie Goldman, like Bryce Callahan. Um, now you guys have a bet. Now you guys, the listeners have a better understanding uh, of, of, of what's been driving a first place team, maybe a shaky first place team, admittedly, but a first place team nonetheless. Um, EJ, I appreciate you coming on overall. Now I know it was short notice, but good stuff as always, man. I really, thank you all. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. That, 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 that does come out well. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Always happy to step in. It's good times. And, you know, we'll take what we can get in terms of first place teams, no matter how they look. You can follow EJ on Twitter at the draftsman FB does like I said at the top of the podcast, while, while he goes all in during the draft season, I mean, he's got his eye in the league and he's got his eye on everybody else. He's one of the most knowledgeable football writers you'll find around, follow the man and get his takes and get his commentary anytime you want. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski and follow us on Twitter at WC Gridiron. And as always, everybody stay classy. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.